Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hey, it's Sex and Science Hour time. Woo. Boy, somebody's excited. Well, I'm kind of going with the fake it till you make it today. Because, I mean, I am excited about the show. I actually am really genuinely excited no, I know about you are. I know you are. the show, as I always am. But I was up really late last night because I was working <laughs> on a deadline. <laughs> yeah. I'm at this sort of awkward phase with my business where I really do need like help. I need an assistant. I do everything myself. I'm a mm-hmm. voice actor and I do everything myself, but it's grown to the point where I'm consistently booked with clients and I just can't keep up doing stuff. So I have to, I think I have to find a way to outsource more of my non, the stuff that doesn't like directly require my voice or me yeah, to right, other people. Right. So what, we're working on that. That's a goal for 2017. And, uh, but you don't want to hear about that. Brian, <laughs> do you identify as a sapiosexual? I identify as a person doing this show in a Klingon bathrobe. Um, okay. I I am will, what's your preferred pronoun? <laughs> <laughs> as a sapiosexual. I, I, I want to say no, um, mm-hmm. but I think maybe we should talk about what it is. But okay. But I'll, I'll just say that, I, yeah. Well, first of all, what does it mean to you? Well, so sapiosexual means that you're like, you're not in love with a gender or you're not attracted to a gender, however you want to put that. You're attracted to a person's brain, effectively. Um, and some people say like, I mean, I think some people can kind of misconstrue it to be like your actual intellect level, <laughs> like you know, which makes it sound very elitist, I think. Uh-huh. Um, like the smarter someone is, the sexier you find them. Yeah. Which, you know, frankly, if that's what you're into, so what? That's great. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, social plumage came from brain power. I, I, I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that in, in the human condition. Uh, yeah. Historically. Abs- Absolutely. I mean, I definitely know um, before sapiosexual, like the, th- the term became a thing. Um, I remember people you know, long ago, like 10 years ago, putting mm-hmm. on dating websites, like I'm attracted to intelligence, you know, and that, that seemed like a pretty normal thing to say, or like at least typical. Yeah. At least some people would say it. Some people wouldn't say it and you yeah. could tell that that wasn't really their kink, but you know, some people would say, I, you know, I, I'm attracted to intelligent people. I enjoy stimulating conversation. It turns me on that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, then sapiosexual became a term. And well, I think the way you defined it uh-huh. is oh, is the way that a lot of people use it. Like, they're not really so concerned with the person's outward appearance or their gender or something like that. They're more concerned with their intellect and their brain and what's between their ears than what's on the outside. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the most important thing to me. 
Um, but to say gender isn't something where attraction falls in on, on, on me, you know, on my scale, uh, you know, would be a misnomer. I mean, I've had, yeah. I, I've already had that relationship with a guy where like it was the perfect man, you know? <laughs> If and, only he had different but, parts on the outside. Right. But the thing is, is, you know, he's a man. And so like, I know what that feels like. And I mean, I, you yeah. know, I, I lived with him at times almost like we were married, but I just never <laughs> felt that sexual attraction. So if I've met right. the perfect man, well, I, I guess I can't really say I'm sapiosexual, you know what I mean? Because I wasn't attracted in that way. Well, yeah, that's very interesting. I think, I, I think you actually could still call yourself sapiosexual because I was going to say there's another word, there's another way that I've heard people use that term, mm-hmm. which is that. Um, it's not the only thing they're attracted to, but what's between the ears and the intellect or a certain level of intellect or an intellectual connection is required for them to get attracted to somebody. Sure, I'd fall under that. There might be other things required too, but the intellect is definitely a component of it, a strong component. Do you fall under either of those? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never called myself a sapiosexual, and we'll get into why, because the article addresses it. But um, I think, yeah, definitely, like, absolutely. I mean, an intellectual connection, the ability to have long conversations, the ability to, um, like, really get each other on a mental level mm-hmm. is super important to me. And I usually... I can I can appreciate physically attractive people, but it's different to being a, it's different for me than being attracted to someone that I really know because I click with their mind. Yeah, you know what, you know what I mean. Absolutely. So I guess I maybe I'm sort of a sapiosexual, but I guess people are now getting uh, criticized for using that term because you know in the age I guess where. You know, there's a there's a there's a term. How do I say this? There's a, so many different terms for people's sexual preferences and identities and gender identities and so forth. Um, it, I think people, you know, there's kind of a backlash against that sometimes. People sure. are defining their gender orientation and their sexual their gender identity and their sexual orientation and so forth more uh, clearly. Yeah. And that involves the use of new words and terms. But then there's also a backlash against that from people who say, well, why do we need more words and terms than we had before? Gay, straight, male, female? What's wrong with that? You know, no. everybody should be described in one of those, you know. <laughs> Heads up, the English language sucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> spoiler I mean, alert. Aren't there some languages? I mean, I don't know if this is really true, but I've I've heard that there are some languages that have like, you know, multiple different words for friend Yep, because they're describing different types of friendships sure what, yeah. what we would call friendships but they would actually call it like 12 different things you know so I, yeah it is interesting how language kind of determines thought but anyway um we we have this article here from the independent uh uk called what is sapiosexuality the sexual orientation that thousands of people identify with and that reminds me of uh on shark tank when kevin o'leary is like trying to make fun of somebody like a business owner who's not making very much in sales uh-huh. and he's like you're gonna make hundreds of dollars <laughs> yeah. you know like ooh, the sexual identity that thousands of people identify with yeah. that's not very many <laughs> yeah in a world where there's billions of people so sapiosexuals say a person's intelligence is their most important trait, but others argue that it is discriminatory by Kashmira Gander from the Independent UK. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, pansexual, these are all terms to help us navigate relationships and sexuality. But now a label for those attracted to intelligence is gaining prominence and sparking debates. Sapiosexual. <laughs> 
Oh, sorry. A oh, video is there a video going? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Oh, fuck. Stop. One of these days, I'm going to get you to run an ad blocker. I'm going to convince you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I kind of need it for the show. (laughs) Those who identify as sapiosexual see a person's intelligence as their most important trait. The term first rose to prominence in 2014 when the dating site OkCupid expanded the list of sexual orientations its users could identify with. Additions at that time included asexual, demisexual, heteroflexible, homoflexible, pansexual, queer, questioning, and sapiosexual. But the use of the term goes as far back as 2002 in a live journal blog post by a user named Wolfie Boy. I don't know about this history there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't right, know. Wait, hold Wolfie on. Boy coined the term. What is, I know what pansexual is. That okay. means Well, just, we should define it for our listeners who don't know. Yeah. I, I would say pansexual. It's not regarding gender, right? Um. So there's bisexual, which, you know, bisexual people typically are defined as being attracted to men and women. Right. Mm-hmm. They they like two genders. Well, pansexual takes it to the next level. Pansexual are attracted to people of more than two genders or potentially attracted to people of any gender. Right. And that includes with it wrapped up in there is the assumption that there are more than two genders. There are more than just male and female. There's other kin. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people would go there. But, you know, there are some people who kind of don't really feel that they fit into the gender binary. Sure. And I think that's pretty non-controversial at this no, point. I, right? I think it's fine and dandy. So I think when you say you're pansexual, that kind of just includes that. Like you could potentially be attracted to people who don't really fit in on a gender binary. Okay. Yeah. So now what is demisexual? Demisexual is kind of like a, um, it's between asexual and sexual. So demisexual is like, you aren't attracted to, you don't feel sexual attraction to people right away until you really start to get to know them. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And gray sexual is another one that's kind of similar to demisexual. I'm not sure exactly the difference between those two, but I think I could maybe even describe myself a little bit as demisexual because I, I don't tend to start thinking about having sex with people and really feeling a strong attraction and a desire to actually have sex with them and not just fantasize until I really know them. Sure. So... Okay. Know. Oh, fair enough. Continue yeah. with this uh, sketchy history of, <laughs> the, sketchy, <laughs> of the word. Sketchy history of the word. Um, and there was there have been dating apps launched that are called like intelligent dating or something to set up people. But some people say that sapiosexual is a discriminatory term because it's classist. It excludes people based on their class and abilities. So people don't want to use it because they don't want to be thought of as elitist assholes. What do you nah. think, Brian? Is it elitist or not? I don't. I don't think it is. But no, I don't. I don't think I it's see elitist. How people take it, it that way. It's kind of a like the word sucks. Like I, I don't. <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue very well. Uh, no, I don't see it as I'm an entitled classist elitist rebranded as a lover of intellect. Wrote one Facebook user on a "Are you a sapiosexual?" personality quiz. No, said another. All right. So, yep, that's the end of that segment. Um, I would like to encourage people, if they like that segment, if they like our show, maybe you're just joining us for the first time. Well, there's a whole history of Sex and Science Hour that you don't yet know about. We have two other seasons of Sex and Science Hour, season one and season two. We're in season three currently. And on our website, you can find SoundCloud playlists for both of our previous uh, seasons of Sex and Science Hour. Lots of fun to be had there. Very evergreen shows, in my opinion. Or you get to see the evolution of ideas, even if 
if they're not. Absolutely. We try our best to make our show timeless and not cover too much news. So, um, you know, those old episodes from a couple years ago are still good and entertaining to listen to. I go back and listen sometimes. And hey, if you like it, share it with your friends. You can follow us on Twitter. The link's on our website, sexandsciencehour.com. Um, share our shows, share whatever you like, and follow us on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. This is Sex and Science Hour. It's kind of fun, like just vamping during those breaks. It's sometimes, yeah, it just lets sometimes it rip. works out really well. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, we're just experimenting here. That's right. Um, <laughs> and apparently, so were the dinosaurs of yore. People have been, or things have been, been doing that for a long time. They've been experimenting. <laughs> Yeah, um, evolution likes to experiment with things like body coverings and appendages. So, um, sorry, I'm kind of really struggling to make this into a segue. Uh, (laughs) There was basically, let's cut right to the chase. There was a dinosaur tail that was found that was preserved in a piece of amber. Now, if you've ever seen Jurassic Park, you know why being preserved in amber is important. Because after hundreds of or 100 million years go by, this one in particular was 99 million years old, um, after a lot of time goes by like that, you tend to uh, get biological materials disintegrating. Of course, except maybe bones if they're like kind of buried in um, sand. That but then those bones rock. shouldn't have their marrow. Those bones, yeah. I mean, bone marrow is a soft tissue that degrades over time. You're referring to the T Rex that was found in Montana with apparently bone marrow intact yep. in it. Yeah, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. weird. That's very weird. It, <laughs> that should not happen. Um, <laughs> but yes, I get your I, I get your point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you've seen Jurassic Park, that, you know, the first Jurassic Park movie was kind of based on, they were explaining this, the so-called science of it in the book mm-hmm. um, that was laid out by Michael Crichton. And, um, you know, what they did was take mosquitoes that were trapped in amber, and then they drilled into the amber, and they got to the mosquito, and it had dinosaur blood. And then from there, they were able to clone the dinosaurs, or just much. fill in the gaps with, like, frog frogs, genes, right. and then basically re reanimate these dinosaurs, bring them back to life. So now, nobody's talking about cloning dinosaurs yet, but we have a a pretty good, like, solid, lengthy section of a dinosaur's tail And they say it was a baby dinosaur. I guess it must be pretty small, like it's kind of a few centimeter piece of amber. But the the tail is preserved in the amber. And, shocker, it's covered in feathers. (laughs) Now, people have been speculating about this for a long time, or maybe not that long. Like, when I was a kid in the 1980s, all the dinosaurs were depicted as lizards with, Mm -hmm. like, just lizardy skin, kind of like you'd find on a snake or a salamander or something. And um, nobody thought that they might have feathers except maybe like Archaeopteryx, which was the flying bird-like dinosaur that was sort of like the link maybe between uh, birds and dinosaurs. But then as as we found out more and the paleontologists started refining their theories, they thought, hey, maybe there's actually like a real chance that dinosaurs did have feathers for some other evolutionary purpose, whatever. And then they gradually evolved and became birds because right. they're like more like birds than they really are like lizards. Yeah, so, which is a, an idea that most that a lot of like religious scientists really insult. Like they, they, really? they make fun of it. Yeah, because. Why? Well, because that, I mean, you know, one of the things that, that we'll say creationists, I know there's problems with all of these terms, intelligent designers, whatever you want to go with. Okay. They talk about um, how it's very rare that you find 
these kind of in-between creatures like where, you know, where did the dinosaurs, what did they evolve into? Did they, they couldn't have just gone away because there's smaller ones where they go, you know, like the Alvarez hypothesis couldn't have killed all of them, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all these little problems that they, they poke into the evolutionary, you know, into evolutionary theory. And, uh, so the idea that they became birds has been ridiculed for years. I mean, as soon as it came up, it's been ridiculed and, and usually the ridicule would just come down to, like, like what how, do you, like, how is that possible? Like that, that's ridiculous. Like why would they have feathers and, you know, like, or even, you know, the idea of lizards having, I mean, that's just, that's nonsense. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, in the past couple of years, interestingly, you have this case and then you had a case where they actually found kind of a proto triceratops where mm-hmm. it did have little knobbies. It didn't just have one big giant <laughs> sets of horns. So yeah. So that's evolutionary, cute. yeah. The theory of evolution is getting proven more and more all the time. Uh, and a lot yeah. of these holes are getting filled in. I mean, it's, you, you could, you, you do kind of have to use your imagination and I can see how it can be hard for some people to imagine how, for example, a monkey or primates could have evolved into something that looks like humans, right? Sure. Or for example, how a dinosaur-like thing could have evolved into a bird-like thing. But um, actually, a lot of things in nature start out with like one function and then they change a little bit and they gain like a whole new function. For example, feathers, you know, feathers are made out of the same material keratin that fingernails are made out of and mm-hmm. horse hooves are made out of. So, you know, maybe dinosaurs and skin is made out of. So maybe dinosaurs had some kind of skin and they had like sort of keratin plates on their skin and then poof, you know, a gene changes and the uh, scale or the the nails that they have on their skin protecting their skin sort of turn into feathers and it gives them an advantage because then they can regulate their body temperature better or they can maybe get like jump a little higher because they can get a little bit of lift or something like that if they flap their wings or, you know, who knows, maybe they confer some other kind of evolutionary advantages. I don't know exactly what, but it's it's conceivable that this could happen. Well, then that trait gets passed on because it helps them be successful. And then pretty soon you've got ostriches that look exactly like velociraptors. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of questions on what exactly was the evolutionary path. I mean, were the first dinosaurs pteranodons and pterodactyls, you know, and, and then they turned into something else, um, you know, or, or was that, I mean, depends on how you look at it and how much you're going by the geological record and all that. I mean, but uh, it's, just fascinating to find this totally fascinating and i i almost don't think jurassic park would be such a bad idea i'm kind of curious to see it. <laughs> <laughs> they say maybe they'll find a uh, full dinosaur soon because they're in a region of china where um the political climate is stabilizing and yeah, this is in burma rich in amber so maybe we'll see next yeah. chapter coming soon <laughs> sex and science hour Hello, listeners. Brian has his own podcast called Sovereign Tech. I do. It's a wonderful show. At least I think it's a wonderful show. That's uh, it's high impact science and tech news and really what it all means to you. And I read between the lines of what all these big tech companies say, because while they may not be lying to you, they may not be telling you everything. <laughs> yeah, I actually had a friend I was chatting with last night who said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm I don't really know very much about like technology and encryption, but I think they're really important. And I said, well, my boyfriend has a podcast all about that stuff. And she said, I know I already listen. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So I have a beautiful audience. (laughs) If that's not a great endorsement, I don't know what is. People can find you at SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. That's it. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. 
I, I can't remember if I said this or not because we had kind of a whirlwind first segment, but I actually was chatting with another friend, too, last night. Um, and she she said the literal thing that that article was about that you sent in, Brian, uh-huh. the, the sapiosexual one. She said she sort of feels like she is a sapiosexual, but she doesn't want to say it because she thinks it sounds elitist. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I teased her and I said, yeah, pretty soon you'll be sharing memes from word porn. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I, I can kind of get that. Like, And I, I think it's a shitty term because it doesn't really explain enough of what I think people mean by that like i never thought it i mean but you know even so like if you're feeling kind of elitist like so what it is <laughs> like to some degree like okay you like smart people well <laughs> you know i, I don't know well it, it, there's a difference i guess between smart and educated right like anyone can be intelligent and smart and have talent right can be born with like and talent but sure. not everybody can be educated because some people don't have access yeah. to educational opportunities although i think that's changing i think it's getting better but th- regardless like yeah people's backgrounds do influence how educated they end up becoming right mm-hmm. and what opportunities they have to pursue higher education so i mean i can i guess i can sort of see the elitist c- kind of angle yeah you raise a great point with that and yeah. i see what you're saying yes, but i don't think I, anybody it, at the same time if somebody finds me sexy i don't think they're like attracted to my phd they're attracted to my thoughts and my <laughs> whatever yeah. something about my mind right yeah 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 so yeah, I don't know. Um, we'll have to leave that chapter behind because we got like four listener emails to Ooh, get to. Let's I do am it. super excited about this. So, okay, one listener, uh, first of all, writes in. This is um, about an Amazon review. So we were reading like these Amazon reviews on the show, on our after show, because we talk about the stuff that people buy through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Right. And sometimes we run across these funny Amazon reviews. So I forget which one we were reading a couple of weeks ago, but he sent in, this listener sent in one that he liked um he says i love so we were sorry he says when you were reading hilarious amazon reviews on the last show i remembered this one i saved from a long time ago it just resonated with me and p.s i love mcdonald's here's the review (laughs) the idea of a usb super nintendo controller was so appealing to me that i chose to ignore poor reviews on amazon and elsewhere and spend enough money to buy 20 double cheeseburgers at mcdonald's or burger king if you prefer to acquire one i wish i could say it was worth it but honestly i'd much rather be rolling in double cheeseburgers right now (laughs) the first thing that struck me was how light it feels unlike a double cheeseburger with which along with being warm and comforting like an old friend or grandparent (laughs) has a wonderful weight to it. The controller feels exactly like all other really poorly made electronics feel. The controller worked fine for me for about two days before the D-pad started squeaking and had to be pressed down very, very firmly before it would move Mario or DK or Joe or Mac or Ryu or Link or Virtual Bart slightly to the right. It's astonishing me that some... Sorry, it's astonishing to me that something of such high quality, like a warm, delicious McDonald's double cheeseburger, or a McChicken if I'm feeling exotic, can cost so little, while such a bad controller can sell for so much. Really a letdown. <laughs> I thought that was cute. <laughs> I'll tell you, the McDonald's double cheeseburger, there is a... There's a magic to there, it, yeah, isn't there? You took the words right out of my mouth. There is a <laughs> there is a magic to that thing. Like, it is just, there is a warmth, a comfort. I agree with that review. <laughs> <laughs> Another, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that, listener. Another listener writes in, hey, he says, or they say, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, hey, 
and and the reason I don't know is because they use the contact form on our website, Aha. which is uh, sexandsciencehour.com. So if you want to write into the show anonymously, use our contact form. You can put your email address or not, only if you want us to write back, or you can email us directly, show at sexandsciencehour.com. So anyway, next listener email. They say, hey, since you praise sex workers on the show from time to time, I decided to meet one. I really needed some companionship. We had fun. Thanks for the idea. Okay, I had thought about it long before hearing your show, but it was encouraging. Cheers. Yes! <laughs> All these years have been worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that they said that they had been thinking about it before yeah. they heard the show. But yeah, we have talked about sex work on the show. And, you know, there's all different kinds of sex work. I have so many questions I'd love to ask this person. They didn't, I mean, they left an email address, but I don't think it was like, it was kind of like a throwaway one. Oh, so I'm not sure if they're going to be yeah. checking it. So I'll just say my questions out loud. I mean, first of all, I'm curious, like, what kind of sex worker did you meet? Because mm. there's lots of different kinds. It could be anything from like someone who tickles your feet or lets you suck on their toes or something to somebody who fucks you or somebody who just flogs you and is a dominatrix or something like that. So what kind of sex worker did you meet? And what was the fun that you had? I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, you can be anonymous. Yep. Um, also, like, I, I think... You know, obviously, sex work is a complicated topic. It's it's myopic to just praise it in general, mm -hmm. um, because there are a lot of people who feel forced in by circumstance or coerced by circumstances into sex work, and they're not happy about doing it. They they wish they had other choices, but they feel like that's the best one that's available to them, and they're not exactly thrilled about it. Um, I do think there is such a thing as a happy hooker. You know, oh, somebody who's happy to be doing sex work, it's their calling. They love doing it. Yes, absolutely. There are happy hookers out there. They're probably usually like, you know, white women who have a lot of other opportunities. Right. Mm. Um, and that who are conventionally attractive. But um, yeah, I mean, they do exist. So I, if you found one, I'm very glad because then that's a mutually beneficial reaction. I don't think anybody really, except like real jerks, I don't think anybody really wants to have sex with a sex worker who's not happy at their job. You know what I mean? I feel I feel bad when I go to McDonald's or something to get a double cheeseburger. <laughs> when I when I go to like a fast food restaurant or even just any restaurant, and the people there are just looking unhappy and don't want to be there, or retail workers that mm -hmm. could go to the grocery store and you check out and they're the cashier's like really not happy they're like how are you today and i'm like good how are you and it's obvious they're not doing very good <laughs> so i feel bad for those people you know i like i would rather be engaged in any kind of economic interaction with somebody who wants to be there too you know and is doing it like yeah. it, maybe is getting some meaning and fulfillment out of it beyond just the money that's changing hands you know yeah it's nice when there's a consensual pursuit of happiness i guess uh yeah that's enjoyable yeah so and i have asked I have never been, um, well, yeah, I, I have never been with a sex worker like a, like a, a hooker or a dominatrix or of any other kind of sex worker, really. Um, but I have had friends who have, and I've asked them about it because I'm curious about it and I want to hear about the, what their experience was like. Right. And the the bad experiences stuck out to me like i heard i asked some a friend a male friend who had been with a a sex worker um what his experience was like and he said it was horrible because she just 
it she was very like dissociated. She didn't she was just like blankly kind of staring at the ceiling and he couldn't even like do it because it just, you know, was she, he felt bad for her. Like yeah. it was clear that she was traumatized, didn't want to be there, you know, so he just didn't didn't go through with it. So, you know, I always am am a little bit wary of those experiences, you know, and I've I've definitely heard people talk about like their careers in sex work who are like former sex workers. Like there's this what was her name? Jillian Lauren. She wrote this book. She was like she basically was like trying to be an actress in New York City and some scout found her for like the prince of some like well, she went with some sultan or something. The sultan of, yeah. of Burma not Burma. Um, no. yeah. of some some con- some like tiny rinky dink yeah. oil rich country. And she was like one of his wives and she was basically like a hired sex worker Mm -hmm. and she got like you know she got to live in this place in his harem and and she kind of thought at the time that he was like her boyfriend but he wasn't like he was just like you know paying Mm -hmm. like buying her basically and afterwards she reflected on it like totally differently and she said that she had some experiences like that where she just like dissociated when she was having sex and she wanted to like change that and work on it and now she's in a relation she's married to a guy who she's like like it's very different type of relationship so right um so yeah like that can happen i don't mean to present the image that like all women have that attitude towards sex work or they will have it eventually sometimes people do sex work and they're totally happy about it they never regret it like there's just such a huge variety of experiences no it's like no two sex workers are alike or <laughs> or experiences with them are alike sure but i i really think it's it's just really important to not look at sex workers with the automatic response or automatic yeah. thought of shaming of them. shame or like that this is or wrong feeling bad or for feeling them. bad for them or things oh, like poor this her or whatever yeah we're individuals folks case by case you assess it as it comes you know i'm not saying you need to look at it in a good light either if you don't want to okay uh but at least be neutral you know, I mean, I, I don't automatically assume the worst whenever I encounter a sex worker by any means, actually yeah. quite the opposite. But, I, you know, if I see that it's something bad, then obviously I, I have a different reaction. But, you know, at first, no, not at all. I mean, this is this is a huge topic, like yeah. the feminist question and sex work and yeah. like, is it actually good for women or whatever? And I think most of the patrons do not think about it at all. No, right. Um <laughs> For some people, they get into sex work because it's like a political thing. Like they do view it, view it as like empowering themselves. Yeah. And I've heard people say that, yeah, the fact that sex work is criminalized is taking away like one of the most <laughs> valued things that women have, their ability to charge for it and make money off of it. Sure. Men so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. Men too, of course. Yeah. There are male sex workers, of course. And so... Yeah, it's a huge topic, but I think a lot of people who patronize sex workers are not like wrapped up in it, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I read this interesting article um by like by a sex worker talking to other sex workers about what to do when you have a client whose like political beliefs and values are very different from your own. Like for example, you have a client that comes to you and um it, like you're a black woman, he's a white man, mm-hmm. and he wants to like make you his slave, like to to have ta- dirty talk about you being his slave or something like that. Right. Or he's like a Trump supporter, and he says, "So are you voting for Trump?" You know, like <laughs> it, this is like before the election. Um, <laughs> or he's like a Republican Christian 
got like who supports Rick Santorum or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do in those situations? And a lot of them say they just kind of like either laugh it off or brush it under the table. It's not their place really to like educate them or try to change their mind or, you know, like this is all just fantasy. So you treat it as such. So I, I don't know. It's like I, I think that would be a problem that would come up because <laughs> you're going to be dealing with lots of people from different backgrounds and um, you know, obviously you might be picky about your clients, but maybe you can't afford to be picky about your clients. Yeah. Whatever. Well, you know, I mean, myself and I have experience with sex workers. Uh, I mean, like I, I think of, you know, like I, I like I like to talk to them and and, you know, kind of see. And, and honestly, something that really will throw me off and I actually might like cancel the whole deal or I won't spend as much time as maybe as I had wanted to is if they don't want to talk. Like if they, if it, like you can pretty easily gauge if this is like, all right, I, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this under duress, but I'm not really doing this because like I, I want to or something yeah. like this, or I don't, you know, I, however that shapes up like, and that, that is such a, I, I just don't want anything to do with that, you know, like, yeah, I know I, I don't want to, you know, as to where y- you want to do a consensual thing, right? Yeah, kind of. Like, yeah. Any, yeah. Yeah. Any hint of like the person doesn't want to be there. It's like, okay, see ya. I don't want to be here if you don't. And, you yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you, if you meet one where like you have a conversation about their job and you express understanding, you know, uh, kind of mm-hmm. their situation and, and just like, you know, how, how the average society kind of looks at this sort of thing and you kind of show that you're different. Honestly, I felt I've, I think I've ended up with a far better experience mm-hmm. for my money. Right. Like, I mean, because like, I think she, you know, she will generally enjoy it much more as well Mm -hmm. because like there's this, uh, well, not to get sapiosexual on anything, (laughs) but like, you know, there's an understanding between the years. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, the one thing I would say I would suggest don't do is don't patronize sex workers, but also shame them and speak out against them and advocate for criminalizing their jobs. Yeah, yeah, Because that's just a dick move. Like, (laughs) people love to jerk off with one hand and point fingers with the other hand. And that goes for porn. That goes for, you know, everything, right? No, it's very true. So, okay. um, Next listener email. (laughs) The UK government is concerned that too many, that quote, too many people are trying anal sex. And the listener says... (laughs) Should anyone really be concerned about this? I filed this under too many butt sex in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Here's the article. The UK government is concerned that too many people could be trying anal sex. A consultation document suggests people trying the act may not really want to do it. Well, I I guess that is concerning if they don't really want to do it. I I can kind of see that. It's not the government's place, but like as a person, I could see concern about that. Sure. Because I I think that there are... Man, another one of those videos. Oh, fuck. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um, So basically, the UK government is concerned that increasing numbers of young people are trying anal sex. And I get it because I think it's, it's true. Like when you're a young woman especially one that was is maybe like 20 years old or or younger right now you've grown up in a world where internet porn was ubiquitous at the time that most of your peers were going through puberty and so they watch a lot of porn on the internet they see professionals doing varsity level sex acts like anal and they think that is just the normal way that everybody is supposed to have sex and if you don't do it there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. and the guy expects you to do it and you're supposed to do it mm-hmm. right and or if you're gay like how, what are you going to you you have to do it right you're gay that's what gay people do or what if um 
I don't know. I, I think there can be a ton of pressure. What if your your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever pressures you and says like, well, this other person will do it with me. Why won't you? Yeah, you know, like yeah. that's been going on forever. But now it has this added dimension of like peer pressure from what people see in porn, which doesn't really necessarily reflect reality. Right. right. And so, yeah, I can see how young people feel pressured to try it. Um, and it can, it is one of those things that if you do it wrong or ignorantly, you can do some damage. Like yes. all sex is like that, but anal is especially like that. It, like the person who's receiving is very vulnerable, yep. is in a very vulnerable position. So, yeah, I mean, I can see the concern. Um, I think also like a lot of anal, like the anal mystique <laughs> comes from, is a perverse consequence of sexual education being so um like abstinence focused in the u.s right i don't know if it's like that in the uk probably not it's probably more progressive but in the u.s they're like yeah sex just don't do it sex is bad okay and then (laughs) (laughs) and then people are like well that means if i do it in the butt i'm still a virgin and i took a virginity pledge with my church and my school so i can still sort of like have my cake and eat it too if i only just do it in the butt and like then they end up really doing that and you sex god doesn't see right (laughs) (laughs) i mean that is like a real thing yeah um so yeah i i guess there might be cause for concern i don't know what the government could do about it i don't think you can ban it (laughs) and and you know some people love anal some people get a lot of pleasure out of it but i think you're more likely to love it and get pleasure out of it if you come to the conclusion that hey, this is something you want to try with a partner who cares about you and who wants you to feel healthy and safe and doesn't want to hurt you and doesn't only care about their own pleasure and is constantly constantly communicating with you and you read about it beforehand or you watch videos or you educate yourself about it. Use plenty of lube. Don't get drunk. Don't do any drugs. Like, don't numb. Don't use numbing lube. Like... All those things, I think, can contribute to enjoyment. But, yeah, I think people, if they're doing it in a kind of uneducated way, then, yeah, there is more potential for harm. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, I don't know what they're going to do. Mad um, buttfuckers on the loose. very concerned. <laughs> what was the whole thing about Blackstone's law and, and anal sex? Like, there was this guy, this oh, lawyer. William Blackstone. William Blackstone, yeah. Well, yeah. So, anal sex used to be considered, like, the in- the unspeakable act. Sodomy. And yes. it's amazing, really. <laughs> like, it, it's impressive the fact that we even know what the unspeakable act is because, really, they wouldn't even write it down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like it's remarkable that when they say the unspeakable act that we even know what that is. That's funny. Um, we probably actually, I know why we know it's because, you know, there are various, uh, hedonist authors that, that would that say were willing that, to speak it. That, even that's exactly what they're talking <laughs> about. You know, it's like, even though this lawyer would call it the unspeakable act, um, that's how we know. So, and, <laughs> and, and William Blackstone is famous for Blackstone's law, which is a cornerstone of modern legal theory, which is. It's it's basically innocent until proven guilty. Like it's better well, to let ten guilty people go free than to have one innocent person get convicted. Yeah, it's much stronger than than just like innocent, you know, innocent until proven guilty. It's like, look, you know, give err on, on the side of not <laughs> err on the people. side. Of, yeah, of not putting people behind bars. Yeah, right. which has been sadly forgotten. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a great quote. Personally, I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, you know, it's almost like buyer beware for humans. But. Definitely. But but the connection was that um, I guess he was really freaked out by butt sex. And yep. some people claim that the original quote was actually like basically b- 
better to let tw- 10 or 20 guilty buttfuckers <laughs> go free than to put one innocent. Behind. There's the show title, 10 Guilty Buttfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Okay, so we have our last listener email. And this one is from a lady listener who is in training to become um, a mental health professional. Oh, phenomenal. And she has a question about drugs, which I think was a great question, really interesting. So I wanted to give a little bit more time to it. Capital D drugs. Yes. (laughs) Here's what she says. Dear Brian and Stephanie, this question is more for Stephanie, but Brian's more than welcome to comment if he has any ideas. Thank you, listener. Um, (laughs) I say Stephanie because this is a science question. You have commented a lot on how science and the government are too entangled, especially in research, and I completely agree with you. This question is more directed towards drugs and their research and testing. I've always felt that other avenues should be explored before drugs are prescribed, and drugs should always be a last resort or only prescribed right away in emergency situations. We are a society of far too many scripts being written before other options are even talked about, and this is not healthy. However, that being said, I do believe that it is necessary in some cases for drugs to be prescribed. I'm mostly coming at this from the standpoint of mental health, since this is the field I'm studying, but this is also related to most situations in which drugs are prescribed. For example, an emergency would be one in which a patient is experiencing a psychotic episode and an antipsychotic should be given. An example of exploring other options would be the case of depression and trying different kinds of psychotherapy or cognitive behavioral therapy before giving them an SSRI. This semester, I've taken behavioral pharmacology, and I've been a little overwhelmed with this class. For one thing, most of what they're talking about in terms of how different drugs work goes over my head. I get the gist of it, but the specific language is a little bit too much. But also, I've worked... I've noticed that in some cases, scientists still do not know how a drug works. They just know that it works. Or they don't know why a certain effect, other than the intended effect, occurs. In many cases, before the FDA was created, they started using drugs for several purposes and had no idea how or why they worked. The point is, scientists still have a lot to learn about the brain, its chemicals, and how drugs interact with an individual's brain chemicals. In many cases, it's unknown why two drugs of a similar type, but slightly different compounds, will work differently on on the same person. One drug will have a greater efficacy over another. Given all of this, I think that lots of testing does need to be done on drugs before they're released to the public for consumption. Some drugs are pretty dangerous, even ones that occur in nature. A common argument with libertarians and anarchists is that it's the natu- it's natural and therefore it's fine for consumption, which is inaccurate. Oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. um, <laughs> agree with you. What is the solution to this problem in a free society, in an anarchist society? Or do you find it a problem? This is a pretty complex issue, in my opinion. I like to think that I'm a pretty intelligent person, and at times I find it difficult to follow the science behind different drugs that are talked about. So I'm not sure everyone who's looking into drugs to treat different issues would really understand that what they're reading in order to make their own decision. I've been questioning my views on anarchism and libertarianism for reasons like this. People tend to like to say that college can make you a liberal, and I can see that, but I just don't think these are easy topics to address and they shouldn't be shrugged off. So, wow. yeah, there was a lot of great question. I mean, there was a lot in there. So first of all, um, Brian, do you have any thoughts or do you want me to just jump right in? Um, yeah, you know, I just want to say that a lot of these issues, they are incredibly complex 
And she mentioned anarchism and libertarianism and anarchism and libertarianism, especially certain brands of anarchism, have a real problem with trying to come up with super simple solutions <laughs> that are also wrong, <laughs> that work across the board that are terrible. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have the answers to everything, but that's no, fine because nothing has the answers no, to right. everything, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But I think it is important to recognize exactly what she's saying is that these are very complex and I think it's it's best to go case by case with a lot of these things. Um, and that, that's really all I have to say about it. Yeah. You know, but go ahead. Yeah. So um, first, the first thing she said was that we're a society of far too many scripts being written before other options are talked about. And this isn't healthy. I completely agree with mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, I did go to medical school for a couple of years. I've also had experiences as a patient where. You know, a doctor said, here, take this pill and didn't even like mention that there might be other ways to treat this thing that was bothering me in a natural way. Now, antibiotics, that's one situation, right? You have an ear infection. It's caused by a bacteria. Very straightforward. Take an antibiotic and it goes away. You have diabetes. It's not just take a pill. That's a chronic condition that's caused by lifestyle things. And you can change the lifestyle things and get rid of it. Mm hmm. Um, so in some cases, it, I'm talking about type two diabetes. If you're, if you're overweight and you have blood glucose, blood sugar control problems and you catch it early enough, yes, you can get, get back to a state of normal blood sugar by changing your diet and exercising and making lifestyle modifications in most cases. So anyway, um, I agree with that. I would always prefer, there's a thing about do no harm in medicine, right? The Hippocratic, the Hippocratic oath. oath. And I think what that means to me, and I'm not a healthcare professional, but what that means to me is not only don't don't do no harm, but also like think really carefully before you intervene. Mm. Because any intervention has the potential for harm. Sure. You know, every intervention has side effects. All drugs have side effects or potential bad effects. And most of the time, doctors don't talk to patients about those. They just sort of do their own risk-benefit calculation and say, oh, yeah, you should take this drug, when if they had to take it, it might be completely different. They might not want to deal with those side effects. Yeah, They're not really considering... It's almost like making a decision to spend someone else's money, right? You don't think about it as carefully when it's not your own money. I think doctors are like that, too. They don't think about the consequences as carefully if they're telling someone else to take a pill because they don't have to take that pill and everything that comes with it. Right? Well, that, and I do want to say quick, like, I mean, there are, and there are stories of, you know, cases where doctors have been effectively like bought off to prescribe something like, yeah. you know, kind of writ large, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Um, and that's really problematic when yep. really maybe kind of what you just described, a change in diet could solve the whole thing. But that's not going to make the medical field any money. Right. They you know? can't I bill mean, for that. Right? Yeah. So you, you have a real problem. Or, I, I mean, And also, I mean, to be fair to the doctors, like there are some patients who do just come in and would rather take a pill yep. than change anything about their lifestyle. Yeah. In fact, I would say that often most doctors can feel like that's the majority of their patients. They're not willing to change things in their lifestyle. Yeah, they sure. want that they'd rather have the pill. But maybe they don't understand that the pill also has negative side effects. And even though it seems really hard to change something about their lifestyle, they, you know, if they knew if they knew the the real risks and trade-offs of the drug, they would choose to change their lifestyle instead. Now I'm not saying that every condition can be treated by lifestyle modification because it's they can't you know if you have a some kind of a bacterial infection no you have to take antibiotics right if you have some kind of a i don't know a a broken bone you're not just gonna like 
you know, not cast it and just eat bone broth and sit, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, pray I mean, and going meditate. keto isn't going to solve a broken bone. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So like, yeah, sometimes there are medical interventions that are necessary, but our medical system in the way it is, is so much better at treating acute life-threatening emergency kind of situate, like kind of diseases and, and ailments than it is at treating chronic ones. And the chronic ones are where most of the healthcare money is spent Mm-hmm. And they're where most of the harm happens from over reliance on medications. Interesting I would insight. Say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I hear that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you, listener. I would prefer anything if it was me or somebody else or that I cared about or someone else I didn't care about. I would always prefer the most quote natural kind of treatment, um, the least interventiony thing to do. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know the. Uh, <laughs> Um, the, the sort of, I don't know, the thing that's less likely to cause other, to bring about other harms. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but you know, if there's a patient who's having like a psychotic episode, what do you do? You can't just talk therapy them right then. That's like a long-term solution in the short term. Maybe you do need to give them some kind of pill and maybe they won't like be okay with it because they're psychotic and they're not in their right mind. Sure. But maybe once they become in their right mind, they'll they will be glad that you, you know, sedated them or something. So it's an extremely complicated question. Um, the other thing is, yes, it's true. Um, a lot of drugs, especially psychiatric drugs, nobody knows how they work. <laughs> it's absolutely true. They do not know what the fuck is going on. They roll are, that dice. You know, it, it's true. It feels like rolling dice with people, especially when some of the psych meds cause extreme side effects and they could be prescribed. And some of the side effects I'm referring to are extreme metabolic alterations, cholesterol, diabetes, gain weight. People gain 60 pounds in a, in a matter of a few months on mm-hmm. some of these meds. They cause extreme weight gain and, and lipid alterations. Some of them, um, you know, the SSRIs are extremely difficult to get off of. And if you try to get off of them once you're on them, it's a trap. It's like you're, you're almost hooked. You have to taper down very carefully. You might experience like severe mood imbalances. It's, it's all kinds of messed up. Also, ADD medications, they are prescribed to kids and they are shown to cause like literally brain shrinkage. (laughs) Who knows what the long term effects of being on those since childhood can be? And the kicker is you can be diagnosed with a condition that justifies prescribing those medications if you are a problem to other people. It doesn't even (laughs) have to be bothering you. You're just bothering your teachers and parents. It's so, so sad. You have to laugh. I like that's so terrible. Yeah. Because you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so it is. It's a, I think it's a real problem that you're recognizing. And yeah, not knowing how the drugs work. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of sketchy. Like, uh, I think it's a good idea to understand how something works before you're prescribing it to treat a problem. Yeah. Maybe it's not necessarily required if it's well shown that it does work but there's even a problem with that because conditions especially like mental health stuff like depression for example a placebo effect in a clinical trial could be like 30 percent of the patients get better with just a sugar pill which is telling them oh yeah we're giving you a pill they get better some of them get better mild to moderate depression some of them get better just from the placebo some of the medications have the same efficacy as the placebo Right. And they don't publish the negative the results of negative um, studies when it shows that something doesn't work. So only the positive results get get published and it's it biases um, the 
the perception of how well certain drugs work. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's kind of um, tenuous. But then again, there's like there's a lot of doctors who are super quick to prescribe these things. And and they they're just kind of there's a perception they're kind of giving them out like candy. Yeah. Now, it, I, and I will say, like, there are people who will say and I'm not trying to negate or erase their lived experience at all. There are people who say, like, Prozac saved my life. Yeah. I would not be here today if I did not have antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds or something like that. And I believe you, okay? I, you know, I don't want to take anybody's drugs away. Um, and yes, they they really do help people, some people. But they don't help everybody. And they're not good. Doesn't mean they're good for everybody. Right. And doesn't mean, it, like, do we still have a real problem with over-prescribing? Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'll just share a quick anecdote. Uh, my grandmother, like, uh, just a remarkable woman. She, you know, 72 years old. This was years, years ago. 72 years old. She's out shoveling snow. I mean, it's no big deal, you know, and, but then around, around her, like, all of her, like her husband dies, her mother dies, you know, like all these people start dying. Her entire like social structure kind of dies on mm. her. And then suddenly she starts getting all these conditions, mm. you know, and the doctors start, you know, prescribing for all these conditions and Ugh. everything. Right. But they never really like, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor. None of my family, no one yeah, in my family obviously was. Obviously it like, was linked She's to, depressed. Yeah. <laughs> she has depression. She's, and so she has start, grief, crippling right? grief. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that's what's going on. Treat that. It, you know, stop treating all this nonsense, but they don't know, you know, they, they, don't, they don't pay any attention. They're not doing the case by case. You know, they're just like, oh, you have this problem, you know, write a script. Oh, you got this problem, write a script. When the real problem, you could have, you know, really like, you know, bring in some kind of, I don't know, therapist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you could have, you could have really solved that. And then probably the rest would have, would have you know, gone its way. That's why yeah. with the, like with placebos, I mean, yeah, the person has something wrong and, and it's the depression. You just got to cure that depression. If they think it's cured, well, then it, then it's cured. But like, well, sometimes the placebo is effect is just from the attention that they're getting from doctors, exactly. right? Somebody's listening to me. But Somebody's the, cares that I'm sick or feel bad, you know? Right. But depression's a very real condition that afflicts a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this stuff doesn't really address it. And if you're just going to stare, you know, if you're just going to, you know, throw darts at, at whatever little, you know, physical problem you can actually see, you're missing the whole problem in the first place so yeah yeah i think this well i'm glad to hear that there's somebody getting into this profession that's thinking this way uh yeah me too i mean it it is true like we have the way the system is set up it does lead to the incentives that we just described to kind of just throw pills at things and that is the number one criticism i think that most people have of conventional medicine or western medicine or whatever allopathic medicine whatever you want to call it is that it does not typically address the underlying causes of chronic issues. Yeah. Um, It is much more common. It's good at treating acute stuff where it's a simple fix, but with chronic stuff, not very good at that. So, um, and as far as the other part of the question about what is um, the solution? Like, do we need the FDA? Should, like, how... These drugs are pretty dangerous and heavy duty. Like if there were no FDA, how would people get medications that maybe some of them need safely and prevent them from overprescribing and stuff like that? I will say like the FDA, we have it now. It does not do a good job at addressing the overprescription problem. 
And it also does hold back medications sometimes from the market that could save people's lives if they were approved earlier. It's very expensive to produce drugs and do all the research that's required to get a drug approved by the FDA. But the filing fees are a huge part of that cost. R&D is, is actually like smaller compared to the, the filing fees to get the drug approved. Right. And then they control like what the name of it can be and stuff like that. It's very interesting how, how that works. Um, but of course, it's not interesting if you're suffering and they haven't approved a drug that you need to live or something. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, a lot of people point to the supplement industry as a solution to like how things would be without in a world without the FDA. Um, the supplement industry isn't perfect. There are like third party testing and exposés on bad supplements, but there's a ton of snake oil out there that's super expensive and people are taking it as placebos. There's a bunch of supplements that people take with dubious benefits that maybe even causing them harm, but they take them because they think they heard it's good on the Internet. Um, then again, there's also a lot of cheap, safe, great supplements. Like it's easy to get fish oil. It's easy to get vitamin D. And those have like real health benefits that are proven. And you can get them at less, way less than prescription drug cost because they're supplements and they're not FDA regulated drugs. Well, that yeah. And I think that's part of the solution is do not have a monopolizing force like the FDA yeah. telling you what's right and wrong. So I don't, field. I don't know what the solution is, but thank you for the question. There's more coming up on our after show, Sex and Science Hour. Stay tuned. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. Do your holiday shopping or your normal shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Absolutely. What you think about that, Brian? I think that's great. I mean, I, you know, Saturnalia is a great time to get gifts for people, and mm-hmm. I, I fully support that. And you know, do all the kind of wild things you like to do on Saturnalia. So you know, I, I absolutely celebrate the holidays. Right on. So um, we had a bunch of stuff, and the way our after show works is we have our Amazon affiliate link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. People go shopping through there, and we see a list of stuff that people bought, but we don't see who bought it. Right. So, um, yeah, so we're all set when we talk about the stuff on the after show. Yeah, and it's usually fun. Generally, we're trying to guess what the hell you did with it. And, yes, um, we are guessing. Y- you know, usually we don't guess <laughs> orifices, but uh, sometimes. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, sometimes we do guess orifices or we come up with crazy uh, speculative uses for, for some of the things that were bought. But for I, example. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no, well, I was just going to say, I will say, though, that clearly our audience is brilliant. I mean, like the things that get bought or if they're not brilliant now, they're going to be very soon because I know the books they bought. And whoo, are you on track? (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Um, So, yeah, speaking of books in the books department this time, we had the You Are a Badass 2017 day to day calendar. You are a badass. (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> it's by Jen Sincero. She's the author. And um, yeah, this is one of those little calendars where you like rip off one of the pages every day. And it has, it's called the You Are a Badass, and it has, like, inspirational stuff and comics. And, oh. um, yeah, it's based on the New York Times selling book of the same name. Okay. So. That sounds great. I love that. Written by a woman? I like that. I It sounds like a woman. Yeah. yeah. Jen. All right. Um, in the movies department, Amazon Instant Video, we have Finding Dory, the theatrical version. Oh, we haven't watched that yet. And Finding Nemo. That's a great movie. I didn't know Finding... I thought Finding Dory was coming out like at Christmas. I guess I'm no, not it, it was out when it comes summer. to kids' movies. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> All right, well... <laughs> I love Finding Nemo, though. The, the the sea turtles in that movie have just got it what figured you, out. What do you like about them? They're so cool. Like, they're just so laid back. It's like, yeah, man, just go with the flow, you know? And Aww, like, like I mean, they're just... Sweet. Yeah, they're so good. And they are, <laughs> like, the, the little sea turtles, so cute. But, like, you know, they live forever, and they're just rocking. You know, they're just like, yeah, it's no big deal. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love those sea turtles. Yeah, it's so they sweet. They made the movie. <laughs> um, And the eyes of my mother. Have you heard of that? Nope. I, I thought you... I feel like you've seen that movie. What really? Is, yeah. What Who's is in this it? movie? I don't know. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, doo, doo, doo. Maybe the, the eyes t- of my mother in theaters. Now a shocking event in a young girl's childhood has nightmarish repercussions as she grows into a beautiful, but dangerous young woman with some very peculiar desires. Ooh. A hauntingly elegant dot, dot, dot and terrifying Sundance favorite starring Kira Kika, Maga Hayes. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen Will this. Brill and Flora Diaz. Yeah, it's um looks like an indie movie, I guess. It got right. good, good ratings. Yeah. Good job. Six and a half out of ten. The Eyes of My Mother. And some kids' movies. I don't know if it was the same person. But <laughs> boy, those ki- those kids' movies, Finding Dory and Finding Nemo, were twenty bucks. Yeah, hey. That's like going to the movies. Like Pixar you better have baby. a good TV at or wait, home. Is that Pixar or DreamWorks? Whatever. Anyway, go ahead. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I guess twenty bucks is the price of like one movie ticket in most cities. But Yeah. I don't know. That seems like a lot to me, but maybe not. Um The Eyes of My Mother's is only seven dollars. Um in the automotive department, we've got the AC Delco professional windshield washer pump. Now that could have a dirty use, I think. I mean, anytime <laughs> you have a pump. <laughs> No, okay. not really. It's literally <laughs> like a car part. $20 price point. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I was picturing one of those bulbs that you that somebody squeezes and, you know, something comes out. It could Yee. be like an enema bulb. I don't know. Whoa. Yeah. I Coffee. Know, that was a little too kinky. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> In the books, um, not only did we have the You Are a Badass calendar, but we had The Expanse box set, Levi- Leviathan Wakes, Callahan's War, and Abaddon's Gate. James S.A. Corey, baby. Yeah, I cannot wait for the next um, part of the Expanse February TV series to come out. I'm so excited about that. I just had the trailer come out. I should probably read the books, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not really bad. It's 23, 24 bucks for a three pack of paperback books. I I have the digitals if you need it. Sweet. Yeah. All right. In the camera department, this is our, our top ticket item this week, which thank you very much for purchasing this through our link. It's the DJI Mavic Pro, and it's a camera. It is a drone camera, in fact. Oh. It's a flying camera. It's a quad, little quad drone. So they got quadcopter. The, they got the base model. Yeah, it's a quadcopter. It's got these four little propellers and legs. And um, it's, uh, let's see, it folds down as small as a bottle of water, making it small enough to bring with you everywhere for your surveillance needs. Um, <laughs> it has obstacle avoidance, vision 
positioning paired with GPS and GLONASS ensures precise positioning indoors and outdoors. Active track, tap fly, and other smart features make professional-looking video effortless, 4K, fully stabilized, smooth footage. So I wonder what they're using this for. And this is a $1,000 price point. Wedding pictures. Maybe wedding pictures, maybe real estate photography. No, yeah, maybe. I mean, drones are... I, I remember, like almost 10 years ago, um, meeting a dude in New Hampshire who had a company that did aerial um, real estate photography with mm-hmm. drones. And he was building the drones himself yes. because they weren't like ubiquitously available at that time. But now you can get it for a thousand bucks on Amazon. Awesome. So that was the DJI Mavic Pro. Thank you very much for, for going through our link for that buyer there. Um, in the cell phone department, we had the Moto G4 Play Case, Enjoy Sunlight Blue. So this is like a, you know, just a little... I don't know, case for a phone. Yeah, that's no, good. <laughs> and it's Moto G4 is a good one. Yeah, got a cute little design, got a little kickstand. I like those phone cases with a kickstand because then you can make it into like almost like a like a keyboard. Yeah, you hook up a Bluetooth keyboard and you go to town. Yeah, I do that all the time. Also got the Moto G4 uh, play case in crystal clear and got a two pack of Moto G play glass screen protectors. So like screen damage yep. protector thingies. Um I feel like that's a really good idea if you drop your phone frequently or if you have kids. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, just stick that thing on your screen and uh, you know, pre- prevent your phone from being a crack bat. <laughs> yeah, I still don't know how that happens. I won't spend long on the subject. I, I, I'm just I know like, how it happens. People sit on it or they drop it and they step yeah, on it. Yeah, I or guess. Or they drop it on a sharp object and it cracks the screen. I guess. I mean, I've had screens go bad, but not from cracking. They go bad from, you know, a drop and then, you know, nothing shows up on it anymore. Right. But like the crack screen, like I'm just, I'm always in awe that that happens, but just me. Well, apparently it does enough to buy enough for some companies, some capitalists to make $7 (laughs) solutions, easy solutions to prevent that from happening. (laughs) Nothing wrong with being preventative. I'm certainly up for that. In the clothing and accessories department, we have a number of very cool things. A cosplay costume. It's an anime fairy tale Natsu Dragneel white cheeks tassel scarf. Whoa. All right. (laughs) And actually, it's not as exotic as it sounds, but it's basically like a plaid black and gray scarf with like little tassels on it. And it's made out of like a fleecy material. Nice. Uh-huh. $12.99 plus free shipping. Um, we also got a hat. It, it's like a men's uh, skullcap kind of hat, like a knit hat. But the inside is made out of like a fleecy material. It's the Gelwoo Men's Soft Line Thick Wool Knit Skullcap. Gelwoo. <laughs> 12 bucks. So somebody's getting ready for winter, it sounds like. I wouldn't be too surprised if the same person bought both of those. Nice. The same entity. We've got a great sport big man six pack of uh, crew neck undershirts for 35 bucks. Are they black? No, they're white. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Right. I-, I wonder if it comes in black. Because if it did. Well, if you have to wear a white shirt Christmas a lot, I understand why you buy a white. Uh, Brian, yeah. all of his clothes are black. The whole thing. You look in that closet and it's just... <laughs> even even the Klingon robe that you're wearing right now is, is mo- mostly black. Mostly black. Except for some Klingon insignias on it. There's a little Klingon writing on here. What does it say? You can read Klingon, can't you? Or yeah, it just it? says Commander. Oh, yeah. of course. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have a dress shirt. So somebody's uh, 
a, I don't know, I was going to say a, a freak in the sheets and a lady in the streets, but what? it's men's clothes, so. Well, might still be a lady in the, <laughs> and that's all right. It's a, it's the Modena men's Dobby stripe cutaway do- collar dress shirt. So it's just like a, like a corporate kind of striped shirt, white, like white with little gold stripes. So it's nice. Yeah. 50 bucks. 16, 32, wow. 33 size. Oh, yeah. Maybe that was like against HIPAA rules because I said the size. So maybe they could, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah them. you're fine. Um, somebody got a Raspberry Pi, 50 bucks, Raspberry Pi starter starter kit. So you can have a computer for 50 bucks. Pretty Actually, much. two people, two two Raspberry Pis were purchased. Awesome. So yeah. Someone's going to have a good time. I know I have a good time in mind. So can you take like two Raspberry Pis and kind of connect them in succession and make a more powerful machine or is like that daisy chain them? Not, not exactly. No. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. This is the Vilros Raspberry Pi 3 basic starter kit with a clear case. So you can see everything that's going on inside. $50, oh. $50 price point. Oh, did you see that before I closed yeah, it? No, Sorry. it's the same kit I got. <laughs> yeah. That's the same one you got. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they heard you talking about it. Might have. Do you, now, what do you like about yours? Do you, do you want to do a little review? Oh, it's just great. It's just this little machine that you can have it do yeah. anything. I, I, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. It's yeah. just cool to have a little clear computer. <laughs> yeah, I have Ubuntu Mate on it, and it could be, like, I could use it as a studio computer. I mean, there's not much I can't do with it. Some people use them for, uh, you know, like um, emulators, you know, for playing games and all that, and that's fine, too. But Right on. Yeah, I enjoy it. Ho, ho, ho. We got an Amazon gift card for any amount in a Santa tin. And this was a $100 gift card. <laughs> wow. Right on. All yeah, right. it's pretty cool. It comes in a little tin with like a Santa's belt buckle on it. Nice. Maybe it's like a kinky Santa. He's going to spank you with his belt buckle. Whoa. That's weird. <laughs> Sorry. Putting the hoe and ho, ho, ho. <laughs> we also got another one that looks very similar. This is a $25 Amazon gift card. And this one comes in a Santa tin, but this is like shaped like Santa's face. So I wonder, like, the if face? you put them together, it'd be like Santa's head on top of Santa's belly, and maybe there's like a leg one. I don't know, <laughs> but it's pretty elaborate. Not. Yeah, pretty right. elaborate. Pretty <laughs> elaborate. So yeah, thank you for doing that. You can totally buy gift cards through our link, and we will get a little commission on it. Yay! Um, in the tea department, you're gonna like this, Brian, because you are constantly you go through so much tea, like. You are constantly shopping for tea. Every time we go to the grocery store every week, you're like, yeah. oh, I'm out of tea again. <laughs> yeah, I do go through a lot. It's true. It's like throwing another log on the fire, right? Because you're staying up, you're drinking tea like yeah, long just, into the night. I have to have tons and tons of working. caffeine. I can't stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say it doesn't affect you, but I think I think maybe... I don't know. I I, it, well, it I used aff- to say that and it did affect me. <laughs> no, well, hold on. Hold on. No, it, it doesn't affect my ability to go to sleep. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I can fall asleep whenever, you know, whenever. Um, But it's obviously it affects me. That's why I drink it, you know, otherwise. Right, yeah, yeah. because why would you drink it? That that makes sense. Well, anyway, in the tea department, we have stash peach black tea. Mm. I like peach teas, but they're, it's a very distinctive flavor. You know what I mean? You can't really get it out of the, like, if you try to make another cup of tea after that in the same mug, you're going to taste the peach. Like, Uh, it's a very, kind of like pure. It stands out. Yeah. Pure. 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 Like pure. I feel like that's something in science fiction and I can't think of it. (laughs) Pay me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In the, I guess this was in the clothes department. I must have missed it. Um, We have some women's boots. Totes, women's Nicole snow boot. 
available in wide width and wide calf fit. And these nice. are 40 bucks. They're like little um, leather boots with some nice fleece inside and a cute little black snowflake embroidered on the side. How fucking cute is that? Sexy. That's really cute. Um, <laughs> in the health and personal care department, we've got laundry detergent, Tide Pods. So we use pods, but we use like the natural pods, right, from the from the benevolent aliens. Pods for what was laundry detergent? Um, yes, it was, uh, it, it's like, Oh, we just use powder. these tied packs of like mm. that there's tied inside the pot and you just throw yeah. it in with yeah, the laundry yeah. and it dissolves and it yeah. cleans your clothes. No, we so use... you don't have to deal with pouring out the detergent. You can just right. throw in a pod. And yeah. It's I understand that. for you. Yeah. I was just gonna say we, we use powder. That's yeah. Yeah. We use powder. Well, Brian does all the laundry, so you, I'm going right. to defer to your expertise yeah. on that. Um, in the home department, we have a uh, laundry bag sor- sorter cart with three a space for three laundry bags. Mm-hmm. That's handy. Yeah, we should pro- we should probably get one of those. I'm going to like I'm going to like bookmark it. Okay. Um, <laughs> we have the Kurt Adler red and green knit stockings. So these are like stockings are hung by the chimney with care kind of stockings. Um, <laughs> Like for your, I don't know, for your for your Christmas decoration needs. Um, we also have Kurt Adler heavy yarn stockings, set of two, red and green. Lacrosse technology digital wall clock with indoor and outdoor temperature. That's useful to have because mm-hmm. you can tell what temperature it is. Um, Limbridge, uh, more Christmas stockings, set of two, white and red tree and snowflake. Multicolor angel and snowflake knit stockings. Another set of two. So, like, all these stockings are really adding up. Um, <laughs> we also had an, an NFL um, blanket, like, of the Green Bay Packers. Nah. Now, the NFL, they are a nonprofit organization. Did you guys know that? They actually make so much money selling their merchandise, but they're technically a nonprofit, and they don't pay any taxes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and they sue people when they use their designs. They have all those designs like heavily copyrighted. Yeah, yeah, so. they are. You know, they are definitely making money off of you to the full extent of the law. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people care because they love fo- their football. You know. Yep. <laughs> and I'm not complaining that somebody bought this blanket or anything. I'm just saying, um, not many people know that the NFL is technically a non-profit, but also like heavily IPs their their uh, designs and their logos. Yeah. Um, so anyway, happy Christmas. Have fun with your blanket. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Is that no, it? It's cool. Nope. There's a little bit more. Um, a wall scroll poster fabric painting for anime fairy tale key rolls. I have to wait for this to open. See, I can't open like every tab at once, so we have to kind of... We need to remedy this. Oh, okay. So this is like one of those wall scrolls that like, you know, like you'd see on a Japanese thing. Like okay. with, with a picture of some anime people. Oh, on cool. It. What, what is the anime from? I have no idea. Does it say? I There's like look. a cute little blue cat, Jeez. a blonde girl, and a guy with red hair. Do you see it? Can you see this? By fairy tale? Yeah. Do you recognize know. it? No. It's probably something from One Piece. I don't know. From One Piece? What's One that? Piece. Is that an anime? Shonen Jump. Woo! That's, uh, d- don't ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I didn't get it anyway. Um, in the industrial and scientific department, we had a rear, rear stem tridicator. Oh, fuck. I'm not even going to bother looking at that. But thank you. Thank you very much. For yes. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody bought a Kindle Oasis e-reader with leather charging Ooh. cover. $309 price point. This is nice. This is Ooh. very nice. 
Kindle Oasis. Now, what's the Oasis, Brian? The Oasis is the newest version of the of the Kindle e-reader. So it uses an e-ink screen, uh, which I think is a totally is a wonderful technology. Yes. Um, the Oasis can like, supposedly the battery can just go on for months. And wow. in fact, the, the cover that comes with it adds on another battery. It's very light. It, it only has one or well, it has a couple, but really only one major flaw. And that is it's not waterproof. Ah, uh, is, yeah, as I, I know. I would it, love to be in the pool using my Kindle Oasis. And with a name like that, you would think, right? Yeah, you would have thought it. A lot of people said that, actually. Like, you'd imagine that there would be water involved. But, uh, I mean, you can buy Kobo. Kobo sells uh, waterproof e-readers. I, I think e-readers are wonderful. One of the best things ever invented. In the musical instru- instruments department, somebody got some headphones for their podcast studio. Right. Audio-Technica ATH M20X headphones, which are 30 bucks. Those are, you know, a decent starter pair. I have a pair of those headphones. They're they're okay for, for starting out. You're going to want to get better headphones once you um, graduate to your next class of equipment because then you'll be able to hear how much better your new microphone is that goes yeah. with the headphones. So, Brian, we actually have a bunch more stuff but we have to get going right now. So I think we're going to cut the show a little bit short. We're going to bump the rest of the stuff to next week. But thank you so much for doing your holiday shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. You guys really came through for us. We have a great after show. Now we have another after show. Keep that stuff coming and we'll have even more. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Sex and Science Hour. Our website is sexandsciencehour.com. Send us listener emails, share the show with your friends, whatever you want, or do none of that. Just enjoy. (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time. 